This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. This is Jesse. How's it going, Jesse? It's going well. Hey, we got Scott. some people with us. All right, this is uh, Brian Murphy with the Silver Key um, Silver Key blog, www.thesilverkey.blogspot.com. To give it a little plug there. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. Hey, welcome. And you're, you're also right for the Sumerian website. Yes, I do. I write for the uh, yep Sumerian.com. Um, former, it was a former print journal. Now it's a uh, a website that covers not only the works of Robert E. Howard, but uh, fantasy, uh, but particularly heroic fantasy in general. Why do they have their comments turned off on their blog? That that is. I don't know why. I mean, you can you can email the the writers. There's a it's a it's a contact the editor, and we actually get those emails. We, we do. I, get I'm on the I'm on the line with one of the writers right now. Why don't they have <laughs> comment turned on? I'll check with the site master. His name is oh, a guy by the name of Leo Grin. It's, it's yeah, I know, but he, he really should have it turned on. I mean, I I read something there, and then I think, oh, I can't comment here. I have to go over to. Ryan's blog and comment there. It's just yeah. Funny. Okay. Well, I'll I'll take that up take take it up with him. Thank you. Hello, uh, my name's Greg Marguerite, and I spend uh, a lot of time putting files up on LibriVox.org. I'm a contributor and book coordinator uh, over there for the short science fiction stuff, and uh, I have a blog that'll list my recordings uh, at Greg's Audio Catalog.blogspot.com. Uh, spell my name with two G's on the end. Uh, and uh, that's about it. Uh, Greg, you, you're, I'm, I'm still not quite finished Death World, but it's, it's got to be the greatest uh, LibriVox science fiction audiobook I've heard uh, so Thank far. You. It's Thank amazing. You. Um, what, what other novels have you done for them? Uh, you do, you've done at least 30, maybe not 30, uh, getting close to high double digits of... Uh, short stories, but what other novels have you done on LibriVox? Uh, that's the only full-length novel. I've done a couple of uh, uh, novellas, uh, one by Edmund Hamilton, one by Lester Del Rey. Uh, at the moment, I'm just trying to basically play catch-up with uh, the short science fiction stuff. And, uh, I mean, to my mind, uh, I had, a, I had a, a group of authors in mind when I first found LibriVox who were under uh, uh, you know, they, they, there weren't a lot of their stories up there, and I wanted to catch up, and so I'm I'm pretty much playing catch up on on a list of 20 names that I made when I first started that I wanted to get stuff in there. But we are also, uh, you know, limited by what the guys at Gutenberg.org, uh, who are the guys that uh, uh, clear the public domain status for a lot of these stories, and there's a loophole in American law that allows a bunch of the later pulp magazines uh, to fall into public domain far earlier than most other things. Uh, and so uh, I'm trying to work back through the old, uh, you know, amazing stories and astounding and all that sort of stuff and, and just represent everything uh, essentially from, you know, the 30s up until the, the early 60s. Uh, and then I also do a lot of, I mean, I go back and do Poe and Kipling and Mark Twain and guys like that too. But... Um, you know, I'm trying to focus on a list of guys, uh, you know, Cornbluth and Cordwainer Smith, Edmund Hamilton, Fred Pohl, uh, Fritz Leiber, uh, and of course, top of my list would be Philip K. Dick. 
and um, and a bunch of other people. So anything by them that shows up, I basically immediately do it. And I'm sitting around waiting for a bunch of other authors to show up. Like L. Sprague de Camp isn't even there's not one story by his out there, even though I know there's a ton and there's very little C. L. Moore and that sort of thing. So well, you've got you picked basically all the the ones that I think should be on audio that are on Gutenberg. Um, uh, when before you came on to the scene, there was sort of a lot of the rep- uh, repetitive um, recording, and uh, that still happens. But um, they were recording sort of the, you know, the same authors over and over again. And I'm really glad to see someone who's got, you know, sort of the mid mid 50s, 60s um, science fiction in their mind instead of, you know, we don't need a fifth version of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Exactly, done. exactly. And there's a lot of people out there doing, you know, the Burrows and all that stuff, and, and they're good works. I just, mm-hmm. I, I have a personal rule, one reader or one story, and so I have limited amount of time, and so it's just easier for me to deal with the short stories than it is the novels. But uh, where something like Death World does suddenly pop up tomorrow, I guarantee you, you'd see the recording, you know, a month from now, all cool. done. And, and it just depends on who it is. If it's somebody on that list of authors and something longer comes out. Uh, for example, like uh, Ray Galoon is on that list, and he's got a novel called The Planet Strappers, which is in public domain. I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but... It's on my list. So if your name is on the list, <laughs> I'll do it no matter how long it is. Uh, let's try and keep keep uh, the wrong people off that list, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'm uh, Luke Burridge. I've been on the show once before, um, and uh, I do the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast, which is my main thing, at sfbrp.com. So if you want to listen to reviews of every single book that I read, um, check it out. Well, actually, no, which is the point of this this today's podcast, isn't it? I don't do every right. book I read. I do every science fiction book that I read. So if it's um, a fantasy book that I read, which I read maybe four or five or six fantasy books a year, as opposed to about 30 um, science fiction books a year, uh, I don't do the reviews of those. Well, you can so, uh, here and tell us about Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's what's happening today, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, Not sure um, what else to say. Uh, just, <laughs> that's it, really. Check it well, out. Um, SFBRP. I keep... All I keep- telling people how cool uh, uh, it is to find out, you know, he's a podcaster and he likes science fiction and that. And then go look at his website and see see what he does for a living. And the videos on there are just amazing. I, I was telling Brian yesterday, um, uh, yeah, he's uh, we're going to have Luke on. He's a juggler. And Brian's like, he's a juggler? <laughs> I said, yeah, he's a juggler. I, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't know. It's it's actually I'm yeah I'm a professional juggler and I yeah I juggle and I put videos up online I've got other video projects and just before we started recording actually Jesse was saying oh that video that you sent me was great and I was like yeah I sent it you by accident but so that's why he's really enthusiastic about it because he's seen a work in progress but uh, that I'll, I'll put that later on in the year um, no yeah so I work as a juggler which which uh, is good but it, it takes up quite a bit of time but probably not as much time as say. Uh, Greg spends doing audio recording and things like that, so uh, it means I've got a lot of stuff to, um, you know, a lot of time to do other stuff, including lots of reading and some podcasting and some writing of my own and stuff like that. I'm curious, you you do a lot of um, reading on your iPhone. Did you read this in paper or on your iPhone? No, I only um, read on the iPhone. I only read books that I can get for free. Ah. Um, I've never I've never bought a book to put on my 
iPhone. Yeah, well, it's not an iPhone. It's an iPod Touch. But you know, oh. same, uh, same, same kind of thing. Same thing. Um, no, it, but it's good because it, it sort of because uh, I because as a professional juggler, I travel a lot and I spend a lot of time on the road and flying and things and taking carrying books around is a real pain. So if I can, I can just load up my um, my iPod with seven or eight books and um, yeah and uh, and get through them. So it's actually been really good in the same way that you can go into Project. Gutenberg and I guess onto uh, LibriVox and these other services and get all the public domain stuff. It's it's really handy for that. So that's why recently I've I've reviewed um, some yeah some more more of the of the real old school stuff like uh, Jules Verne and uh, and other books that you can get there, which has been which has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fun. Last and last and first men was was wasn't quite so fun to read on an iPod. Mm. You're still not <laughs> quite finished that one. Appar- apparently, I was listening. Yeah, to well I. Didn't do a review of it. My last episode of the of the podcast was it wasn't a review. It's a it's a explanation of why I. Well, it's not reasons <laughs> not to read the book. It's it reasons why I you couldn't finish the book. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind difficult books, and generally, when I start a book, I'll I'll finish it. And it's but yeah, well, listen to the podcast. It just it, it it's just not a it's not the kind of book which grabs you in the same way that um, modern reads grab you, and like, also like really the steel remains. Reads. The Steel Remains, yeah, that's that's sort of a, a, a grabbing kind of book, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's grabbing it's all sorts some... of things. That's that's yeah. That's a lot of grabbing <laughs> going on in this book. So yeah. Uh, well, Luke, let's get on if, to it. I guess. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Luke, if you were going to give this a rating out of five, what would you give it? Or do you want to answer that question? No, no, I, I never say I never say that at the beginning of a podcast. Okay. I'll leave that until all the right, end, yes. really. Okay. And also, I've, I've not really thought about it because I don't. Well, okay, I'll think about it during the review. Sure. Uh, but I think that's generally something you say at the end of a review rather than at the at the beginning of the review. I wouldn't want to give it away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you some, something that interested me uh, when I, when I uh, about this book. When it first came out, uh, there was uh, a lot of controversy because of an article that I guess everybody's read now um, uh, that Richard K. Morgan wrote uh, about new book. And basically it was saying... Something along the lines that uh, if you like Tolkien, um, that's fine if you're a kid, but really, let's, it's time for fantasy to grow up. I've written a fantasy novel for adults. Here it is. It's called The Steel Remains. And he, he illustrates that Tolkien had some uh, realistic adult-style fiction inside of uh, The Lord of the Rings, but it wasn't what it was focused on, and it was sort of shied away from. And he thought that that was a mistake, I guess. Um, I think it's a great essay because it is so provocative, makes you think about Tolkien in a different way, and I, I, I want to hear Brian's thoughts on that a lot because I remember when this essay came out, you had some feelings on it. But I also wanted to point out that um, this book also interested me in another way because... Uh, when it did come out, one of my friends of mine was reading the the reviews of it on uh, Amazon.com, and, and um, someone had said, uh, "I could, I, I hated this book. Uh, if you want to read this book, you're reading gay porn." Um, <laughs> and I thought, I thought that was interesting. And my friend said, "My friend said, um, well, maybe gay porn isn't that bad. <laughs> He's not gay." Um, but he's willing to try it. Um, do you think that the... Uh, does anyone think uh, that having the main character... I think this might... It's probably not original, 
for fantasy, but I think it's it's probably the most bold gay character in fantasy so far. Um, what do you think? Is this going to turn a lot of people off? You're sort of conflating two issues here. What you're, you're talking specifically about the 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 gay um, protagonist mm-hmm. um, and some of the graphic sex in it, or the or the article. Well, uh, you choose. You pick. You pick your targets. I'm just giving you stuff to chew on there. Oh well, I thought we were going to get um, some. Going to get some of Brian's. Yeah. Well, on, I'm on happy article. to hear Brian. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Getting back to the article, and uh, thanks again, uh, Jesse. I, I had a very strong objection to that article. Um, I guess. Well, first of all, I think the article succeeded in what Richard Morgan was trying to do, which was to. Um, Bring some, bring himself some pub- publicity for his new novel, um, and it was written for a, I believe that was the publisher's website or or a blog on the publisher's website, and you know that's that's part of what he does as an author is try to try to sell his book, and um, I think it's possible he had, you know, he he there were a few points in there that um, I semi agree with. I, I I I do think the article in general was pretty superficial. Um, and if he basically his argument is that the Lord of the Rings is, uh, you know, shallow depictions of good and evil. I think his actual words were um, ponderous epic tones of towering archetypical evil pitted against irritatingly radiant good. And guess who wins with the words he used? Well, mm-hmm. um, it, and he, he goes on to state that it, this is this is great stuff if you're 12 to 14 years old. I I, I you know. If you give this, if you give the Lord of the Rings a superficial reading when you're 12 or 14 years old, which is what it sounds like he's done, then I I would agree that you can come away with that with that um, with that idea of the book. I, I I think he overlooks characters like I've mentioned in an article you you read, a Frodo who's you know tormented within with an inner struggle throughout, um, and in, he, he overlooks characters for example like a Denethor who was at one point a wise steward and became weak. Um, and corrupted Saruman the same way. Um, there are examples in that book where, where it's just not uh, that evident. I mean, sure, overall, you look at the forces of Mordor against the forces of good. Um, you know, I, I, I think in a, in, a, in a broader context, you know, Richard, K, Richard Morgan's novel is um, it's obviously written very different than Tolkien's, and he, cho- he chooses to highlight the graphic nature of combat and I think we all realize that uh, real combat is probably um, well is is in fact a, na- a nasty business war is hell we all we, we all know that um, I guess the point is as a reader what do you like to see in your books do you, do you, do you want to see every uh, bit of gore on the page um, are you interested um, in graphic depictions of sex um, some people are. Some people feel it spices up the book. Some people feel like it makes it realistic. I don't think that necessarily makes it adult. Um, I think if, mm-hmm. if you're looking at what makes a book adult, uh, throwing um, you know graphic sex and, and gore on and on the pages is not necessarily adult. I think you know it, it's worth looking at Richard Morgan's other themes in the book and and perhaps stacking that up. I think you know superficially that. Um, if that's what he's trying to drive at with his book, I think he's I think he's incorrect there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 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 kind of my feeling. I I, I think it's I, I you know I he he does raise a good issue with the um, communication with the orcs and and how he thought that was uh, d- 
depicting the actual soldier and the issues they face, which is really, um, I think, was a high point of uh, Richard Morgan's novel. But um, I guess I'll let someone else take it over from here. Those are kind of some of my thoughts on the article. Well, my thought on this article is that it's obviously written to to sort of stir things up. Yep. And, of course, it did. But then at the same time, it makes me think, well... He's he's just doing it to get reactions out of people. So sort of like to to respond to that in that same way and to sort of react to it. Sort of lets him sort of we just play into his game, which is is fine. I mean that's what we're doing. You know we're discussing that <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's no it problem. Worked. But it always it always makes me um, when I know somebody has designed what they've said to rile them up. It's sort of like his writing here is really good. Because he's put in all of these things, he's sort of like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, he's sort of presenting himself as some kind of objective viewer, but he's so not objective, and all of his, all of his, um, uh, all of his word, you know, all the ways that he's describing Tolkien and his words and stuff is, you know, it's it's so emotionally charged. It's actually just this, you know, and he's done it in like four paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great piece of writing, but then again, I don't, I don't feel myself, you know. Uh, going to like, limping, leaping in defense or going, yeah, come on, because it's like, yeah, I know he's designed it to be yeah, he has. read in that way. Um, one thing I, I do want to point out, though, is that Richard Morgan, uh, unlike a lot of the other writers who are out now, he is very much trying to, ch- you know, change the fiction that's out there to more of what he likes, and that is more noir. He is a an advocate of of sort of a darker view, uh, you know, sort of more dystopic view. And if if you've read some, I know, Luke, you've read some of his other stuff. Um, yep. It's very clear that this is not like, um, uh, you know, just, just for this book or just just uh, his particular, you know, way of... I, I don't think... I, I mean, he probably, you know, designed this essay so that a lot of people would be provoked. But I don't think that was not... Uh, you know, just a, an evil plan to make money. I think it, it was a, a plan to point out that there is other kinds of fiction than, you know, the Happy Hobbits. It's it's uh, darker fiction, I guess, is what yeah. he's saying. And and uh, in an interview on, um, I think it was Dark Horizons website, I'm not 100% sure, they did a, an interview with him talking about how um, all his characters, all his main characters are outsiders. And for for the uh, the steel remains, he made the main character is you know he's like a knight, so he's got education and he's got um, he's got uh, you know weapons and uh, you know enough food to make him tall and strong. Um, the only way to make him an outsider was to make him you know morally repugnant to the the group from which he comes. Otherwise, he yeah. would be a hero in that in that. And I actually do, I think this is actually what makes it, uh, like, an interesting way of doing it, because it could have been very easy. It's sort of like, oh, he was cursed as a child, or oh, he was disfigured, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, And there's loads of ways of, of, of making someone an outsider, which would also be an outsider in today's world as well. But the way he's done it is, like, he's, he's literally saying... Uh, uh, in these medieval kind of setups that all these, uh, uh, so many fantasies worlds are set in, if you were... You know, if you're gay, that would have been you would have been an outsider. But these days, it's not that. So it's sort of like, in a way, he's sort of challenging the prejudices of today by saying, "This is what a medieval society is like." Oh, but we're not like that today, are we? No, we're not like that at all these days, are we? 
oh, but now you're saying that you don't like gay sex. You know, so he's actually really playing with it, you know, in mm. this uh, sort of like, he's saying that they're an outsider. But they wouldn't be outsiders now. Or would they be? Because you're saying this is just gay porn, whereas sex in other books isn't pornography. It's just sex scenes. You know, it's... it's yeah. It's, I do actually quite... I, I think that's quite an interesting thing that he's done with the book here. Uh, again, like like I'm saying... No, no uh, like you were saying that he was he's actually doing it to sort of influence the writing world or to try and get more of what he wants out of books and i think that more he wants to read i think yeah 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 and and i and i think that's actually a a a good goal and i think he is actually sort of hitting hitting some of the points there with this book i think greg any thoughts yeah um i think it's a question of context i see it in a in a longer arc. I think starting around uh, the 1850s began the rise of the anti-hero character. And that character uh, became more and more nihilistic as the years went on. Tolkien is along that timeline exactly where he should be. Now, where we are today is that the anti-hero has become so nihilistic that you have to do something to make him somehow, uh, you know, that the, the reader can uh, associate with that person. And so what you do is you take the fish-out-of-water character and you mix it with the anti-hero character, which is what I think Morgan has done in this work here. He's got three fish-out-of-water characters who are also anti-heroes. And that is an attempt to balance the nihilism. The, 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 the character, the rise of the anti-hero has been pushed so far that now these guys have got to try and find some way to, to reach an equilibrium with that. The problem with it is, and this, this works into the gay pornography angle too, uh, in context, it's essentially too soon. I mean, when you push the envelope, and I'm not saying don't do this. As a writer, I think this is one of the things you should be doing. But, um, it, it, like, for example... Uh, Prose about gay sex has only been acceptable, say, for the, for the last few decades. And so the observer is too close to the experiment to actually appreciate the context of what's going on, if that makes sense to you guys. And, and who, so, who is the observer? Well, we are. Okay. I mean, it doesn't, I mean I'm, I'm talking in a scientific bent there, but okay. what I really meant was that, you know, it, it's like a... It's like, for example, uh, I don't... He's too close to now in order to put the, the, the gay scenes in proper context. They seem out like a sore thumb, like they were intentionally stuck in there. Now, I don't have I a see problem. What you, I see what you mean by doing this. It's like, that, you know, all of the censorship issues and stuff like this and banning, you know, Lady Chatterley's lover and all that kind of stuff. Looking back now, you go, what's all the fuss about? Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That's but, part so of it. Yeah, but I'm just saying that, like, in a few years' time, we'll look back at this and go, what, that was, people were, what? You know, it's that kind of, that kind of thing, so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I suppose, I mean, yes, there is that aspect of it where, you know, Jim Kirk kisses a Uhura for the first time, you know, black man, white woman kind of thing, and we stare at it now and go, huh, you know, but, but... Um, it, it, it's more than that. There's this timeline, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand what you're getting at there. I'm just saying, you know, just sort of throwing that out, throwing that out there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think that the, the gay stuff is fine. It didn't bother me. It's just hard to put it in context because it's such a new thing. We need more text after this to be able to put it in context. We need another, exactly. another yeah. fantasy book with the main gay, gay character uh, yeah. to make it 
it's not seem out of place. Um, one other thing can I, I should point out. Can I just mention something though about the sure. about the anti-heroes? This is like you're saying. This is like a a, a big thing. You know, people say, "Oh, this is really you know different and uh, and maybe new or a different direction for fantasy." But compared to compared to um, Richard Morgan's previous novels that I've read, this is very much this is very much you know part of the course. This is very standard. Yeah, that's what stuff I was going to say. And um, including the, sex I've scenes read... as graphically is also yeah. as pretty much the standard. The only difference here is this is uh, gay sex versus or yeah. or it's it's quasi gay sex. Uh, yeah, because, because well, it's not always a human character. That's Let me what put I'm it that saying. way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, but he saves he saves the graphic gay sex for ostensibly the alien. Do you know what I mean? He oh, doesn't. We're not he, doing spoilers, are we? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I'm so, sorry. I take it back. Edit that out. Edit that out. I apologize. It's, it's not really a spoiler. You sort of see it coming straight away. In this yeah. Sure. Um, sure. But say for the monster, you know, for the non-human character, let's put it that way. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, I haven't read Market Forces, I've actually got it in my hand here, because it is on my bookshelf, but, because uh, that would be, like, the last book that I haven't read of him, but, you know, his, his Takeshi Kovash, Kovash novels, um, it's, it's, and also his, uh, his Black Man, otherwise known as 13, it came out as in America, which I really didn't like, I think that was because, actually, uh, like, uh, I think Greg was just saying that the, the anti-hero figure has gone so far, and that was sort of, like, pushing the anti-hero, um, protagonist figure so far that I just you know like you say there's just nothing to grab hold of there it was so it was so far that I just like it was just boring in a way it was like so anti-hero it was a it was like a boring character and there wasn't that other element in there which actually made it interesting for me as a reader anyway right um, and that that whole thing with the, the I mean the anti-hero has come to the end of the line we're going to have to find we can't just keep making him more and more burned out yeah, and that's what was—that's what it literally was in there. It's literally you, you come into the book, and I'm just thinking, wow. I, I actually thought when I started reading uh, thirteen that it was the second book in a series, and he's already gone through a whole lot, and then we're joining him, and you know he's already. Uh, and I was as I was reading the book, I was like going, okay, well, uh, you know, what's this? What's that? What's this? And it was you know it was all filled in by the end of it, which is uh, which is another thing that Richard Morgan does. It's you know very common in the five books that I read of his now. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just like I say, there's just there was just nothing. I don't know. It's just just a weird thing. And it, but he does. He has brought it back again. I think I think for all, uh, for the steel remains. Um, definitely. I just uh, if, just to get back to that article for a second. I don't want to harp too much on that and 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 Tolkien. I know we're talking. No, about let's your, do it. Let's do it. But um, I guess it's this, the the whole uh, what makes a book adult is kind of a slippery slope. I mean, you can you so many adults enjoy Harry, Harry Potter. Um, and I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I think I think there's there's a lot of good things about uh, Harry Potter novels. But specifically, Morgan accuses Tolkien of not writing for adults. And I think if you look at a chapter, for example, like um, the Scouring of the Shire, in which it's it's not a, a coda for heroes. It's not a simple homecoming. I think if it was, the Lord of the Rings would be a lesser book. I mean, it, it, the whole point of that chapter is that war has a very long reach. It wreaks a lot of havoc, um, not just in, in the combat side, but in what it does to the populaces that are participating in it. And it turned, you know, the, the Shire into a uh, very mechanistic society. Um, isn't it? You look at you look at what happened with, you know, that was the end of the Third Age, which in general, the, the all you know, all the elves and the magic are leaving. It's being replaced by, 
the age of man, uh, very prosaic age. Um, it's Tolkien conquers, approaches a lot of dark themes in his novels, and it's particularly if you go beyond the Lord of the Rings, which is a little unfair for Richard Morgan. Now that was a novel he was uh, um, addressing, but you look at the Silmarillion, you look at some of the surrounding myths, and um, Tolkien was uh, very uh, influenced by the northern uh, myths, which are very dark. And um, I, I, I feel like his article, for, pe for, for people think, come out of that thinking, yeah, this is for kids, and now I can pick up the steel remains, and I'm, you know, I'm approaching some adult material, I think is very off base. I think it was, uh, unfortunately, I, I try not to let it color my perception of when I read The Steel Remains. I think The Steel Remains has a lot to offer. I know we'll get to it in a minute. Um, but I, I, I think that whole, to be an adult book, you have to have uh, graphic violence. You have to have graphic sex, and you have to have, you know, the F-bomb on every other page. I, I, I don't agree with that at all. I, I think it Richard is. Morton was, was, was very, very off base in his analysis of Tolkien I thought it was very superficial um, and I so that, I just wanted to make that again clear well that is, yeah, I, that is that's a great point because the the issue is that Tolkien works on many levels and it, it, this can be applied to many different forms of I mean Bullwinkle works on many levels and that's what makes those things adult I'm not comparing Bullwinkle to <laughs> Tolkien but what I'm trying to say is that if there's some, the wider the appeal of the thing, if there's something there for everybody, it becomes more adult. And you can read Tolkien as an adult, or you can read Tolkien as a child. I've done both. I did it when I was 12, and I did it when yep. I was probably 30. And I I, they were two different things. I saw completely different things. And, and so if I were to apply that measure to the steel remains and ask myself how many levels does this book work on i don't know exactly how many but it's fewer than oh, tolkien yes, far fewer but then again I you've agree. got to think that we've had we've had a long time to read tolkien and to absorb it and there's you know he's he finished the trilogy before you know you know 40 50 years before i was even born you know so it's sort of like we've had a long time to sort of grow into the material you know as a as culture whereas the steel remains it's it's obviously the first book in a you know there's more to happen in there so maybe it could have more depths than a single reading would would True. get out i i totally agree with what you're saying i mean i'm just saying that it's the tolkien's work was it was a finished work when he finished yep. it um, it comes back to my context thing yeah, yeah, We're too close yeah. to it yeah, of course. Um, and I'll I actually think... say I'll, I'll actually say this. I go, going to the Steel Remains. I knew very little about it. And in fact, I didn't know it was going to be a continuing, ongoing series. So, I assumed it was a standalone novel. After it is I a read, I, it, it is, is a standalone, standalone novel. Yeah, it is definitely is a standalone novol. You can just read it and then put it down. But you realize that there is more. There is more to come. And I know yep. that. I know Richard Morgan is actually in the process of writing a next book as well. You know, you can. Yep. Uh, that that is. That's not news for me. Um, I've not read Tolkien, the the Lord of the Rings, at any rate. For I've read it twice, I think, but you know, not since I was maybe eighteen or nineteen. Um, it's not for ten years, so I, you know, I'm not as as close to that material as possible uh, as I am. But when I've read other um, fantasy books, the kind of it being an adult book or a not adult book. I think it does come down to these levels, but again, it is just it's like he's included the graphic sex and and uh, violence in there and and lo and the bad language as well i mean there's a lot of bad language in the book as um too 
And I do think that does sort of, uh, it doesn't just make it an adult book, but it can actually make it um, more, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I can't work out what I'm trying to say uh, in English. It's sort of it, like the, uh, the, the, le- like the, the darkness of it, not so much the darkness, but like the violence feels more uh, real or feels more like in your face and actually feels more like scared, you're like more scared that of a war gonna t- that's going to take place because... Yep. Um, the humour is very dark and the language is very dark and things like that. So it does actually make it a, a darker book and a more almost like sort of like you're more frightened of it. I uh, oh. one book that I did read of the on the um, on my iPod was uh, Brandon Sanderson's uh, Warbreaker because he released um, one of his ed- or a few of, no actually I think he released all of the edits that he was doing. He was releasing them online as he was doing it. So I read like the latest version that he had on there and. Sure, there's. Uh, it's. I think probably. Uh, I mean, it's a completely different book, but the tone of it is a lot lighter. And even though the actual stuff that's going on in there, you know, the uh, a lot of the things that are actually happening um, are exactly the same level of violence. It, it you don't actually ever feel scared for the characters or think that anything bad could happen to the main characters because it's written in you know like that PG um, or whatever the equivalent thing is in. In America, of that of that tone, you know, it's actually he's he's avoided bad language, and I just think actually just the inclusion of the bad language, of course, it's going to exclude many levels and it's going to exclude a lot of uh, of of younger readers. But it does, I think, it does. Uh, I wouldn't say add or take anything away. I'm just saying it does take it onto a different level in terms of actually anything could happen here. You know, it's it's not it's it's less safe in a way than say uh, Warbreaker was when I was reading that. The only swear word in uh, Lord of the Rings is Mordor. <laughs> right? It, Gandalf it, gets really upset when, when he says Mordor. Right. Don't say that word. They're listening. <laughs> yeah, but that's not even a, it's not even a curse word or a swear word. It's actually sort of more plot point. It's sort of like the eye will turn towards you when yeah. you, uh, when yeah. you well, say it's this. It's sort of the same idea, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing to put swearing in a novel, but I think it's... Uh, I Actually, I might, might as well just get straight onto it. I think there's probably um, a little bit too much swearing in this book because it doesn't give you any contrast. I actually would have liked it if some of the characters didn't swear constantly and, you know, drop F-bombs and C-bombs all the time. It's like yeah. when... When the main character's mother, who is like a, uh, she's some kind of, you know, aristocracy, uh, some aristocratic lady there, and she starts dropping swear words. I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's, uh, maybe it would have been better if she had been not just offended by her son's homosexuality, but maybe by her swearing, or by his swearing and not his homosexuality. So I thought it's like by letting swear words just have a completely free pass in there which is which is fine i mean i don't mind that um uh but it's uh it, it's sort of he sort of missed a trick there i think yeah it was yeah. his lowest common denominator he was using it to try and link everything together and give us a fully realized yeah. view of life in this mythical time so it's it's synthetic reality it yeah, and, and the only time that people were scared of saying some things was they were, when they were in front of the, the evil emperor who just didn't care and would just have them killed straight away just for looking at him funny. But then it wasn't even about the swearing anymore. It's just like, well, that's... Uh, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's like it lost effect there as others because, of course, you're not going to swear at him or use bad language around him because it's like on pain of death, whereas I would have preferred it to be more of a, a good manners kind of 
well, issue. Well, I think I think you, you you guys might remember that there there are there's a class society sort of thing going on. Remember when when uh, Ringil is walking in the street and he sees someone he knows from a previous battle or someone who knows him. There's there's no you know fuck you sir. It's it's <laughs> it's it's the you know if you're on an equal class plane, it's okay to swear at that guy who's on the equal plane as you. But it's yeah, not. But- it's not, you know, swearing uphill. It's only swearing on on the same level. Swearing on level or downhill is what you're yes, saying. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> I guess maybe I just wanted to see a little bit more of that in it, just to give it a little bit more variety. Yeah, I, I think mean, that, that Ringel, could have done been done. Ringel, our our gay barbarian here. Well, not barbarian. Barbarian's the other character. But you know, our, our gay aristocrat um, warrior guy is uh, again because he's so nihilistic and just doesn't care who he talks to. Bad language is never an issue for him at all. So it's uh, again, it's sort of it just lost its effect with me. All of the bad language is, you know. I mean, yeah. again, I, 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 you know, in my own writing, I put in bad language if it's called for, not called for, or anything like that if it's in the character. But here it's just like a bit mono characteristic, mono, mono level swearing. It's, it's, it's something he puts in all his books, and um, I think I think it's. It's you know if you're reading a like you say a PG-13 book, it's nice to switch over to this for a while to get some some of that. But it, you know it is it is a a long book and uh, it can get repetitive. He he's he's not the greatest at giving you a variety of characters. Morgan isn't. He doesn't give you a you know a different kind of character in every book or you know six <laughs> different you that's, know that's the understatement. Characters. He's yeah. basically he's got sort of one you know, style, and if you like it, it'll work, but it does, it can get a little bit repetitive. Yeah, just I on that, Jesse, I, I, I'm sorry to inter- interrupt you. I, uh, no, no, go. I, I enjoyed the character of Ringle. I thought he was pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Um, for, I, I, I don't want to give spoilers away. I, I really enjoyed the scene towards the end where he has his kind of, his rousing speech, and um, that I, I started to identify with him late in the book. Um, I, I, my favorite part of that book was the last, last act, the last quarter. Uh, I thought Egar was okay. He he was he's like a lot of barbarians you see throughout uh, fantasy literature, kind of the brawling, boisterous, randy type of uh, a character. Um, okay, you know, semi likable. Not not nothing too. Um, I thought he was a bit plain, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, there was, he was a bit like, plain. For the amount of the amount of time that we spent with him and yeah. his story wasn't anything more with how he came to join up with Ringel at the end of the book. And again, I'm not giving away that they all get together at the end of the book, because otherwise, well, you wouldn't have the book. Um, but it's like, it, I, again, it's just like for the amount of time that he spent in there, I, was, it, I really wanted him to be a little bit more involved in the story rather than um, just a passive agent that mm-hmm. some other force can bring in just to help out with his sword at the end, or his spear, or his double-ended spear, or whatever it was, you know. Well, Scott, setting Scott up. needs to tell us about um, about how you know this youth versus uh, you know books for young kids versus books for uh, adults or books for everyone is sort of you know it's an ongoing argument in sort of the science fiction fantasy community. Scott, well, yeah, the uh, <clears throat> you know you and I have talked about Harry Potter before, mm-hmm. um, but. It's interesting that, you know, Richard Morgan, I guess this essay that we, you guys have been talking about, um, by the mm-hmm. way, I haven't been participating too much because I haven't read the book, 
I haven't ever read Richard Morgan, and actually I wasn't aware of the uh, controversial nature of that novel at all, so I've learned quite a bit, so thanks, guys. Um, I think it's more manufactured controversy. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm gathering. That's what I'm gathering. <laughs> but, but that, well that man- essay is yeah. Yeah, the same well way. manufactured. Well manufactured. Yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> that essay, which I did read this morning, um, was interesting too, and in, uh, some of the things that Brian said about that. But it, he wrote that um, in February of this year. It looks like. Yeah, it's early this year. Yeah, so it, not too long after that, um, you know, the Hugo Award nominees came out, and Adam Roberts kind of. Uh, called that a shoddy list because well three of the five of them were YA um, but but it's interesting that it's kind of a larger uh, debate within all of science fiction and you could even go all the way back probably to 1969 when Harlan Ellison came out with Dangerous Visions isn't that the year he came out with that um, but anyway yeah. it was like it was a reaction to hey everything's getting um, mundane and all this stuff is for you know for kids and uh, let's write some stuff that's not, you know. So w- whatever the word edgy means um, is what Adam <laughs> Roberts felt like was missing in the Hugo Award nominees list. And uh, I don't think I don't think he well, read. I read um, I read that article. I read his blog post about it, and he actually yeah. mentioned Steel Remains in it. But that was before I'd read it, so I didn't. I sort of skipped over that. But I, I don't think get he to... read the. He must not have read the Cory Doctorow one because it is. Uh, you know, it's got a juvenile uh, main character, teenager, but. Mm-hmm. It's got it's got swearing and it's got uh, you know uh, fighting against you know the United States government. It and has references to sex in it. It has yeah. sex in it. It doesn't just have references. They have sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so does Twilight. Yeah, but, I, yeah, yeah, but I'm just so saying with with, yeah. with I'm just saying that like the level of um, I, the the thing that made Little Brother not an adult book wasn't that there was no. Uh, or it wasn't that it might not have had swearing. And, um, do you understand what I'm saying here? I mean, the level that it was written with its sort of very sort of black and whitish view of the world, sort of like all adults are a bit stupid and don't trust mm-hmm. them and all kids are great. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, with the kids as the uh, main characters and the, the adults not too much in the picture, that seems to be the formula for a typical YA novel. But the, the one that won the award was The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. I thought it was wonderful. I've not read it. It was fantastic. Yeah. Very good. You know, but Gaiman has this mythical quality that, um, you know, whether the depth is actually there or not, it certainly feels like it is. Um, He's a lot just more about like everything that he writes. Morgan, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so even I, though I it was it, a YA book, I thought it was, you know, it's fantastic. I, I like a lot of YA I'm not sure that it is a YA book in the in the normal sense. I mean, the kid starts off as a, you know, a baby, and we get to him. I think the book ends around when he's 14 or 15, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of it, it's it's a very mythical book, and certainly I, I, I had kids reading it in my my classroom, and they really enjoyed it. Um, but they weren't even teens, you know. They're younger than that so it's it's a kind of a special book in that it's more like uh lord of the rings it, it can be read by all ages whereas uh, i think you know little brother is probably you know not going to be enjoyed by little kids as well mm-hmm. i mean there there is certainly Very much a youth kind of, of, of the hugos in that in that this particular year there was a sort of a youth push but uh, do you think the Hugos, remains, it's like get up for the hugos no, because the thing is with the with the Hugos, it's 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 all based on popular vote. So that 
I, I, I honestly don't think it has much to do with the um, with the direction of all science fiction readers. I think it's sort of more the people who are uh, uh, like connected to the internet and who read the blogs. And of course, Neil Gaiman's got a massive following, and all these uh, like all of the guys on the on the Hugo Awards um, novel ballot anyway this year has have large followings online. So I think it's just. They're like the the authors are going. Ah, oh, okay. Let's try out some young adult. Um, I'm not saying that the that it's being led by readers or by by the the writers. I'm just saying that it just so happens that a few of the the writers this year had young young adult titles. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. It's. Yeah, I, I, I'm I not sure. I, I don't, it is don't a popular sp- vote. It is a popular vote. And yeah, I'm know. just saying that don't don't mistake the Hugo Awards for. Um, for too much quality or too much um, thought on the part of the of the readership to say, oh, I think we should get behind this movement. I you want to read more young adults. I think it is more more about people's favorite authors um, as much as it is with favorite books. A few books that I have read specifically because they were Hugo Award winners. Um, I think I've only ever done that two or three times, and and generally I've not been massively impressed by the book. Uh-huh. And wouldn't agree that it's anywhere close to the best book from that well, year. But generally, spoke, I don't. We spoke I, one time. Well, last time you were on, we spoke about um, yeah. Snow Crash. I think either that or I don't think that one. I don't know. Don't if think, got on the I don't, air. Maybe it didn't get on the no, air. No, but Didn't that win? I don't Hugo? think that one. No, it didn't win a Hugo. Oh, it didn't. Um, I I think that when when I was young, the, the science fiction was like a corner bar. And in the intervening time, it's turned into Studio 54. <laughs> and you have to keep that in your head when you're thinking about these awards these days. It, th- they're not being given in the same spirit that Hugo Gernsback used to decide what was good, you know, when he was writing Ralph 124C41+, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a completely different yardstick that we're measuring the thing by. And, and if you take that into consideration, then the... The awards really, I mean, they are a popularity contest, and when all said and done, your definition of good is, is, is personal to you. So, yeah. you know, to know what other people like may be helpful, but the club has gotten so big and so fractured that you can no longer use that as a good measure to decide what you might like. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, people go, "Oh, you know, Neil Gaiman is one with the graveyard book, and it's great." It's like he—he was—he was the guest of honor there. There's no way. I mean, most of the people, oh, wouldn't say most, but like probably a good proportion of the people who went to Worldcom were going, "Oh yeah, I'm going to go, and oh, and hopefully I'll meet Neil Gaiman." You know, I know he's got this like he's got this superstar status, and that you know he any event that he turns up at, he will attract masses amount of people. And of course, those people coming to the world kind of going to vote for him over, say, Cory Doctorow, who yeah, you know, it's. I'm not saying that they will do. I'm just saying that they've read the, all the books or not, and that yeah, yeah. That's, that's uh, I'm, not saying, yeah. I'm not saying that's a bad uh, thing point, for Neil your Gaiman. Point is taken. Yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying, and, and I can't argue I'm just with saying that, that bit. I'm just saying that, it, there's, I, I'm just saying that if you actually want to talk about good books and bad books and mm-hmm. interesting books and liter- literary books and adult books and youth books, it's like you just got to leave the awards out of it, or let me put it this way, you've got to leave the Hugo Awards out of it. Maybe mm-hmm. some other awards would be better uh, served for that, but... Um, uh, yeah. The way I look at it is you should be following the author and not following the awards. So I read Neil Gaiman books yeah. not because he wins awards, but because I've read Neil Gaiman's books and he writes them good. There's a couple of ones that aren't perfect, but generally, you know, he, if he wrote it, it's going to be a good book. 
Yeah, well, if, I've, if I've never great book. I've never finished a Neil Gaiman book, but because he's won the Hugo Awards, isn't going to suddenly make me go, oh, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I'll, I should pick it up because you know, it, it doesn't change anything. He's already, uh, uh, you know, a, sort of like a cult author with a with a large following in this way. So mm-hmm. just by winning a Hugo Award, it isn't going to change my mind about it. Um, it'll be something else. It'll be sort of like some more conversations with people and maybe. Um, explain why I only ever got a few chapters into American Gods without before going, what? And then putting it down. Who's going to read another uh, Richard Morgan book after reading this one? What's that? Who will read another Richard Morgan book after reading this one? Uh, I don't know. You are. You're going to read Market Forces. But yeah, but I've heard it's not great. Uh, you know what? I think it's his best one. Oh, well, there you go. So maybe I'll think it's his best one. Maybe it's I the so. it's the <laughs> book that I hoped black man would be but wasn't i don't know it's it's not exactly the, it's it's his most different one too i think um yeah. Greg, would you read does another? it does it have someone who who comes into a situation like you say who's already old and jaded and he's got this backstory and and by the end of the book we don't only follow the main story but by talking to friends that he met and, and you know and filling in character and having it's, long it's, memories it's the we find like out that facts. of all his books. Oh, okay because i'm again that formula is it's nice it's and all tired. but it it's getting tired, especially in The Steel Remains. Uh, well, not especially, but I actually didn't mind it so much in The Steel Remains. It's because we got the main storyline, but then we've also got the story of the war that these characters have fought in beforehand. And you, and again, you, you think it's just about this. Oh, and then it's about this. Oh, and then there's some more political stuff there and that way. Oh, and actually this happened as well. Oh, and did you remember this character? This one, he was in there as well. And it's like everyone he meets along the way is somehow connected to his past. And... and it works. It works okay, but it's like, yeah, I've got that now. He he did it in Alton Carbon a bit, mainly actually in the last book in that series where he goes back to his home world, and it's sort of literally then everything he's, that's going on, um, it, it stories running in parallel. And Steel Remains does it a lot. The Black Black Man does it, but the the past story that they're talking about isn't actually very interesting at all. Sort of like how Masaris got from Mars to Earth, and by the end of it, it's just like thinking, well, yeah, I guess it would be an interesting story, but like maybe half a short story um, rather than half a novel or a third of a novel sort of spent on this sort of mystery of what happened in the past. In the end, it wasn't actually that interesting. Um, what about what about you, Greg? Would you read another? Have you read a, Mar- uh, a Morgan before? No, I had not, and um, I probably would not intentionally do it. I may do it accidentally. <laughs> well, no, I'm on the road a lot, and, you know, i got to pick up what's on the newsstand or whatever, but um, I... I, I, I tend to measure these things by how many elements of proto-story are contained in them, how much they relate to myth and folklore and legend and that sort of stuff, and then how many uh, individual ideas in the book actually are mind candy that tickles my fancy, are sparks that fly off the thing while I hold it in my hand. And there weren't a whole lot of them in this book. I liked the concept of the corpse mites right in the beginning, and mm. certain. Yeah, certain I th- thought that was going to be some in the book, and I was reading this. I was going, "Oh, these are great! It's like a, it's like a uh, scientific, like sci-fi yeah. Ex- yeah. explanation yeah. for zombies." And I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be great!" And then that's they it. Just they just drop it. Never, yeah, just the heads grafted onto the roots. That wasn't a bad one, and the helmsmen. <laughs> I want to know more about them, but but other than that, those were the three big tickle my fancy ideas. And I also, usually, yeah, so kind. I usually look for more than three is, is all. Yeah, it was missing bit and I thought that the whole at one point uh, the main character he sort of goes into this uh, say into this fantasy world but he sort of takes this um, this journey which may or may not be linked to real geography and stuff like that and I, I've read this before quite a lot of times that same 
journey through time and space in a in a different connecting to different dimensions and stuff. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of yeah, like um, say, you know, it, it didn't it didn't really kick, it didn't really get me, and I was like, we spent a lot of time there, and I was like, okay, I've I've read this. I've read this before, you know. Well, it's turning it's into the underworld sort of thing, right? Yeah. No, no, it's the idea that, you know, uh, infinite reality can make you crazy. Well, duh, I hate to come back to Phil Dick again, but, <laughs> yeah. you know. But yeah, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, just saying, I'm not just saying about the journey that he takes. I'm talking about the, the journey, you know, his, his other, you know, journey as well. You know, it's, it, 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 was, it wasn't getting... getting it didn't hit me. But then again, it didn't really affect the character all that much either. By right. Me. I think we need to have, to give this thing a true airing, we need to have this conversation when the third book is out and we've, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we've seen the whole story arc because obviously he's coming back to a bunch of these things and yeah. you know, he's setting them up for the next book. So. What did you actually think about the sort of more science fiction elements, the band in the sky, which like mentioned on the, like the third page or second page or something. Um, and I was just like, so this is actually set on, you know, on a, one of those culture orbitals, whatever they call it, you know, with the with, on a big ring or like ring world, but smaller, you know, those. It, oh. it's, it's like it, it, it seemed obvious that it was set on there. But then, of course, I was thinking later that, oh, no, maybe it's sort of like a, a band that's actually like orbiting a world. So it's sort of like one of these things that goes around Saturn the world. So it's, what's that? Right. Like yeah, so it's like a ringed, it's yeah. like a ringed yeah. world. I um, thought it's, so, it's, if, it, if it's close, it's debris, and if it's far yeah. away, it's a galaxy. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like in the middle of a galaxy that goes all around. His but name is Ringel. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just point. saying that the band, because he kept on talking about the band light, and it, it really, it was never closely described, like you're saying, it could have been debris, but also I'm thinking it could be something built, because it, it seemed quite solid and reflective at some times. Well, um, uh, the Dragon Bane just... had the Sky Home there, and, and we did meet one of the Sky Home guys. He yeah. sent Dragonbane down to deal with Ringel and and whatever her name was. Yeah, Arch- but also there was this there was this one word that it said it it said I I went to the rim of the world and I'm thinking what world has a rim except sort of like a ring world kind of thing where you can actually travel to the edge of it and get to the rim of it and then look out this into space. This world has one too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe you get this well. I guess I didn't I really think, think so. it. But it's sort of like, uh, it, like, so I, I'm not because normally you'd say to the edge of the world, or you'd say to the end of the world. But they said to the rim of the world, and I'm thinking, okay, there's it, this is definitely going to be set on, on something rather than just on a planet. But I don't know. Again, it's just it's just a few of these elements that made me, you know, it's 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 like in a way Lord Valentine's Castle, where you know it's it's pure fantasy in a way but then you think oh no there's actually machines under the ground which are making this stuff work rather than it just being that's magic, a good you know? point though i mean it could be a rainbow bridge kind of thing i mean it could be where we're going to see that in the next novel or two what what goes yeah, on yeah, yeah. in the in the band yeah mm-hmm. so brian would you read another morgan based on this book have you read you hadn't read any other morgan books had you no this is my first experience with richard morgan um I don't know. I I probably would not. I might I might pick up the second one in this and uh, begin it and see how it grabs me. And um, as I said, I to to give like a kind of a thirty second synopsis of my feelings on the Steel Remains. Well, I I think Richard Morgan is a, is a good writer. I mean, he he certainly can put words together. He's he's very readable. Um, I have I enjoy a good battle scene. I mean, hey, that's part of the reason why I like fantasy. Um, Otherwise, I'd be reading other stuff, and, and I think he he does write 
um, if if that's what you like, he he does write some great battles. Um, mm-hmm. You can picture you can picture in your mind uh, what Ringel's doing with a blade, and and they're fairly original um, too. I think. Yeah, they 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 are. Um, I think he does a good job uh, making some of the cities feel real, Trelane, um, and the, the Magic culture. Yeah, I did uh, like that. I did like the yeah. cultural stuff. In I it like as the well. cultural aspect and the and the the, the 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 kind of matching weaponry with the different cultures. So I, I I feel like in general though the book to me, and I tried to divorce his essay from uh, reading the book, but it, to me it felt like he was writing a book that was like a deliberate. Um, in-your-face attack against traditional fantasy, which maybe the maybe the genre needs. I think I think J.R. I think uh, Martin um, with his Song of Ice and Fire did that better, um, uh, frankly. But and it it felt kind of one note to me by the end. It felt like uh, this was, you know, him proving that uh, fantasy can be something different. Um, it felt like an agenda more than. Um, a well-crafted novel. Um, I think Morgan has some fine qualities as a writer. I, um, I certainly wouldn't turn anyone else away from reading his stuff. And I, I, I may, I may read the second one just to see where he's taking the story. Uh, but I would overall, um, no, I, I don't think um, I, he's high on my list of, of next things to. Read. By the way, the name of this series, uh, according to Wikipedia, will be uh, A Land Fit for Heroes, which I think is kind of an interesting... Uh, it's it, it sort of sounds generic, you know, it could have been any fantasy author, but on the other hand, if you think of, of, of Richard Morgan's sort of attitude towards traditional fantasy, what is he trying to say with a, a series title called A Land Fit for Heroes? Um, is it that... Is it that it, only in a world like the kind that he's creating, you know, sort of a gritty world where nobody is nobody is 100 percent honest, nobody is 100 uh, percent good. Um, is it easy yeah, trying to say something with that? Heroes, but none of them turned up. They're all just there for selfish They're reasons. They're fit for <laughs> heroes, but are yeah, there yeah. many? Right? <laughs> yeah. It's a land fit for heroes with no heroes or mm. something. Um, yeah, the next I, I mean, be called the Dark Commands as well as what it says. So. Yeah, I've I've been thinking of because I I for the silver key I will be writing this up, but uh, you know it's it's an old cliche, but it's true that it's to me it's easier to tear down and destroy something than to build something new, and I I feel like what he set out to do was to kind of uh, do a tap dance on some of the old um, fantasy novels that we've we've all liked and read, and and um, I think that's you know it, it's. I think he succeeded in some respects. He, he did show that it can go in a new direction. As I said, I don't think it's entirely original. I think George R. R. Martin did this and did it better. Um, but, um, yeah, to me, it, it's, it was just lacking something. I, I, well, that's strange because for me, I, I, I don't, you know, you say all these, you know, old ty- fantasy titles, like, well, no, I love you. The thing is, I don't actually read it because I don't read a, ho- a whole lot of fantasy and I haven't done yeah. these big you know, George R. R. Martin kind of series, you know, I've never actually, you know, tackled them and gone through them. Uh, my fantasy reading, well, of course, I did David Eddings, you know, when I was younger and stuff like that, you know. But it's these other sort of big, well-known series that everyone raves about and, you know, eight books and 12 books and stuff like that. I've not done them. So yeah. I, I, I tend to stay away from this, yeah. What's that? I tend to stay away from those because of, I... I, I I find myself I not having the patience to to read <laughs> yeah. that many books anymore. But well, that's what I actually quite liked about this book is that so many, quite a lot of fantasy books you you see it and it says book yep. one of the this series and I'm like, if it's going to take me five books to find out like to actually have a proper <laughs> conclusion, 
I, yeah, like I said, I don't have the patience, whereas this, I knew it was a standalone novel, and that's why I, I read the Warbreaker book, because again, it was a standalone novel, and I knew it was going to be a standalone novel. Yeah, I, just, I, to make, very much just to make it clear, I, I, I don't, um, I'm not an advocate of the current model of fantasy publishing, which is unending series. I mean, I, I have never bothered to read um, Robert Jordan's books. I've read some of the older, uh, well, more established series now, um, uh, trying to think of some examples here, but you know Terry Brooks's old stuff, which has has not aged well, frankly. Some of the um, the Dragonlance books, which were okay, uh, then I, I tried reading them again, and they weren't very good. Um, so, but I Terry Brook, Terry Brooks and the Dragonlance stuff, I think I think that is if if you took out Tolk, if you don't take it as an attack on Tolkien, but you take it on, as an attack on um, that part of Tolkien's legacy, um, I think yeah. it, it's. It's much more apt, but it's it's a harder sell, right? It's harder yeah. to attack a whole genre of fantasy than yeah. to attack Tolkien and, and get the same reaction. So the thing is, with this book, like you're saying before, it's sort of like what does it's 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 easier to tear down. And I don't think, from what my reading of fantasy, I don't think he's he has brought some new, I guess, attitude that I've not read before, and, and some new swear words that I've not read some that many times in a book before. Um, <laughs> But it, it's like that's what people are talking. That's what you know because I get lots and lots of people emailing me saying, "Oh, have you read this? Oh, have you read that?" And um, oh, you should check out Steel Remains. But I'm warned there's lots of graphic gay sex in there. And I'm like, okay. And that's what that you know that's the thing that like maybe seven or eight people now have emailed me about this book yeah. was oh and be careful there's graphic gay sex in there. And I'm like right. But for me that that was only a, that was a minor a selling part. feature for me. I'm not gay, but I want to read something different. And yes. that it, that's what this is. Yep. Yes, it is I'll different, but I'm not saying he's... Uh, I'm, I'm just not thinking, like you said before, it, it's harder to build something up, and the, and the world yeah. that he has built up isn't as strong as even some of the more derivative fantasy books that I've yep. read. Yeah, you know, because a lot of them, a lot of them, they they always they have a, a sort of more of a well thought out kind of magical kind of system in there, and they you know, and they have the politics, and it's all about this and that, you know. And in this book, it, it was there a bit, but again, it was sort of like because it was so much from the point of view of the outsider, or so much from the point of view of the outcast. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't very well developed. So, you, like I say, you have this sort of magical sequence where he goes on a journey through infinity and stuff, and it was like there was. They didn't have the rules there. They didn't have the you know. It didn't feel. It didn't feel solid. If you understand, this book didn't I, feel I, solid. I think there there might be that that might be you know a weakness of it. But certainly, it's not doesn't use magic in the way that normal traditional Tolkien derivative magic doesn't. And I I want to point out that there's a huge difference between Tolkien's actual use of magic in his stories and uh, his novels and the actual derivative stuff which is completely different right yeah, yeah. The, like gandalf never he never does anything he just tells people and talks he to people he has lots of information that's gandalf's yeah. big job uh, in the in the hobbit he does a lot more uh, i was reading about how in the hobbit he he you know does a lot more magic he he gave um he gave uh frodo no not frodo bilbo, bilbo. a pair of cufflinks <laughs> that that magically close and what magic there is in the steel remains is is much more uh, along those lines than the traditional Tolkien derivative magic, which is you know there's a wizard and he's casting spells, or the Harry Potter style of magic, which is you know <coughs> and and uh, 
you know, scrolls and that sort of thing. Well, it's potentially explicable. I mean, yes. In, yes. In, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Here's what I've just taken from some of the quotes here, because I, I, whenever I finish a book, then I go and look at some of the quotes, what other people think of the book. That's on the on the back here. So it says, you know, Morgan doesn't so much twist the cliches of the fantasy as takes an axe to them, then he sets them on fire. Um, <laughs> said that. Uh, I don't know, Joe that was Joe Abercrombie, yeah. Yeah, but then there's another one that says, Morgan dips his toe into the fantasy genre. Okay, he doesn't so much dip his toe into it as a wade-in claw swinging with a broadsword. Uh, yeah. With tooth and claw swinging. Quote, but it doesn't really tell you about Yeah, so, again, it's like all of the quotes are this same kind of thing. It's sort of like, hey, here we go. But he doesn't just so, do this. He attacks yeah, what it. And I'm it? like, yeah. yeah. Like I say, these quotes, they sort of go, oh, that's what the book's going to be about. But in the end, it's sort of like he doesn't attack the cliches as much as... He he's used his own cliches from his previous novels, like things that have become cliche to him, and then puts them into a into a fantasy world which is populated with people with swords instead of people with high powered rifles. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I, I think he does in, engage in some cliches of his own. I think if you look at how he treats, like for example, priests, they're they're all religious fanatics or or sex fiends. <laughs> the leaders are all more morally and ethically corrupt. Uh, also, or, or egotistic, is, you know, it's, 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 some of that is in, involved in engaging in his own cliche making, and, you know. Yeah, well, well, I thought that know, was the realism it, part. Yeah, in a way, <laughs> it's realism, it's also, but you also have to remember that the, the most, the, the best, the most morally pure character in the whole book is Ringo, right? And he's not morally pure. Yep. Right? The problem is, is he sees the universe not as a, you know, a place where good and evil exist, but where only shades of gray exist. And yeah, um, yep. Why and again? Sort of some of the cliches that he has is that, like a cliche. It, uh, one of the cliches that he has is that because his main uh, this is I'm talking about Richard Morgan here, but because his main characters are so violent and are so nihilistic, and it's sort of like they don't care if they kill anyone. So murder, like condemning someone for destroying life, is or for taking life. It, it, it's it's not something that he can use as a reason for killing people. Um, so what he has done in like three three of the books that I've read of his now is use the sort of bad treatment of women of prostitutes as that. So in his altered carbon yep. book, his first one, it's like at the end of the book to sort of justify the massive violence of just killing anyone who's involved in this is that of course the the the, the scene takes place on a in a um, in a brothel, but this sort of like this high class brothel, high class class brothel where they're obviously doing unspeakable things to women and because oh these are women and they're they're doing this uh then then we can then we can just kill anyone who's involved in this without even thinking about it and, and that's it and he did it the same in um in black man and then he's done it the same here so he only goes into the brothel it's like oh of course and then he tries to like set the he, he tries to set the prostitutes free but they don't do it you know and he's and and i'm like yeah okay i get it but it's like i dislike it when the only way a hero ever solves any problems in a book with, with, with Richard Morgan is by kicking people until they tell him them what they want or punching people until they tell them what they want or <laughs> shooting people. And now he's done it with stabbing people. So now he pretty much goes down and stabs people until he gets what he wants. But it's like there's no – that's the only problem-solving thing. And the only other thing that uh, his heroes do to solve problems is just to use their intuition to sort of work out the story. But it's like they're not using their intuition because the reader never goes through the st- – process so at the end you just get the you get the main character to another character how he worked this out and how he worked that out but you don't get it and that happens at the end of this book where he goes back and and talks to a character at the end and 
it had no relation to the story. It's just like, like, oh yeah, and this, 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 and this. And I'm like, but that's it, great. It, isn't the, the the definition of darkness? I mean, in in all these things, especially in fantasy, darkness is you strip away every every disguising thing that society and civilization has built up, and and reduce everybody to just a herd of animals. And herds of animals kill one another and don't think about it other than that. That's that's at the center of darkness now in terms of i mean i can't stand i don't read that much fantasy either but i i just think that you you know it bothers me sometimes when conan solves every problem by shoving his broadsword to the hilt in it and so i i prefer people who think their way out of the problems which is why i lean more towards science fiction than Uh, you may not have read enough uh Tolkien, ri- uh, sorry, Conan written by Howard, because Howard's Conan is not as as a I know. barbarian as everyone else. I know, thinks. I know. And when I was a kid, I actually did read every word Robert E. Howard okay. wrote. So he does I, I do, do a lot of chopping, but he's 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 also a, he's the thinking he's man's sly, He's a sly guy too. He's yeah, not, I, I agree. I agree. My point here wasn't that violence isn't the answer. It's just the the theme of the book. All the themes of his books often seem to be that oh, violence isn't the answer. Oh, and you know, wouldn't it's really bad, and war is really bad. And that's literally, you know, like his big rousing speech that you're talking about is when he says, "Oh, I don't want war to ravage the world again, and isn't it all bad?" And then he he <laughs> takes out his sword and says, "We're going to have a battle now," you know. And it's yeah. that kind of thing. It's like, I, I, and it happens over and over again. It's like in in Black Man. I could see that one of the themes that he was talking about was like you know male violence and masculinity and stuff like that. But in the end. All the main character did was punch people until he literally... There was not any character left in the book except for the main character who he hadn't even killed, punched to death or had died by other means. You know, and it's when it gets to that point, you're just like, so what is the message here? Yeah, um, I don't... I, 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 I don't, don't want that to be a message. It just gets a bit boring when it's just violence yeah. upon violence upon violence. And I'm not, that actually, to be honest, wasn't in this book. But again, it's like he goes... Uh, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go in there and get this woman back. You know, I'm going to go in there. No, you can't stop me. I'm going to do it anyway. And then he goes in anyway, and he just happens to stumble on the exact one place. And he, and I was going to say, he's done that a few times, because, you know, Ringle is, is <laughs> very much a similar character than previous. But, but that's what happens in all of his books. The, the main character just goes, oh, well, I'll just go in there, and I'll just take my gun, and, you know, and it'll all work out in the end. And then it always does seem to work out. He always does hit the right place on the right time, that first try, by random chance. He just yeah. goes to the brothel, and, oh, look, it's the same. It's the right one. Um, and, again, if uh, this is the only book that you read, you've read, you wouldn't pick up on these, I say, Morgan cliches in a way, but they're there. And then right. the characters become passive. It's like the, the barbarian guy, he... You know, things happen to him. All he does is wait around until um, his brothers plot against him, and then you've got the you've got the Deus Ex Machina come in, and then he's just available for at the end of the book. But then the but then the uh, Ringel does the does the the same kind of thing. It's like he just meets up with this thing, and then they take him to where he wanted to be anyway. And it's like, uh, right, okay. And that just happens quite often in 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 Richard Morgan's books. His his main characters sort of just they sort of meander a bit. And then fall into the into the course of the uh, you know stuff happens to them for a while and at the end they just happen to have the biggest gun. Yeah, there um, seemed to be no motivation for for the main character to be pulled into that realm. No, other than, nothing at all. Other than a sexual yeah. one. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it, that's and all I, they left you with. And I, and I didn't mind the sexual thing because it did have some kind of story plot. You know, I mean, it, there was some purpose in it for the story. You know, it, sure. it sort of had to happen for the story to take place. But then the story didn't have to ha- take place in a way. You know, that, that sort of like uh, that line that Richard Morgan took there. Again, I mean, it was, it was unsatisfying as a book for me story-wise because two of the main characters weren't actually going out to solve problems you know, the problems were solved for them or the, the solutions to the problems came to them and were presented to them. And then the the female main character, I can't remember her name now, uh, she had different... Arketh. Uh, Arketh, yes. She was, one of, she was the more interesting character, or I wouldn't say she was the more interesting character, but she had a story um, yeah. And, and yet the and yet the answer that the reason why she turned up at the end was also sort of given to her at the end as in a way um so yeah i, I wanted i just want my my protagonist to be a bit more pro than the protagonists in this book that's all i'll say i i think it all gets back to why he set out to write the book which was to show that maybe fantasy is has is based on the cliche of an epic you know world ending quest and these events just sort of happened uh, you know, Ringo came into it because of his mercenary background, and he's going to get some money out of rescuing his uh, his um, cousin. Oh, do you think? Uh, that, but, you think but, that but, but in the end, I struggled to really? figure out what's that again. I'm sorry, I don't think he's really doing it for the money. I don't think that that was his main motivation. Whose motivation? Uh, Ringo's. Well, his, it was his, his mother asked him to to rescue her. Um, yes, but he didn't do it for the money. I mean, he he sort of. He didn't really uh, want really? to go, but he also was very compelled to go. So you think maternal guilt was think, the driving force? I think it's, you know, absolutely. It's like, yeah, <laughs> My mother would bitch. be proud. She's, she's evil, and yet she's still my mother, and, you know. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't I get think, that. I, think there was, I thought there was a little bit of that in there. It's like uh, the mother it's thought it would be a good idea. Right? or Well, it's not so much that. I think it's more of a, a spite against his father that the, his father didn't want him involved, but his mother said, hey, I want you to come along, and then to sort of get back on his father. That's I, For me, that was one of the uh, the, the things that I, I picked out of that. But, I yeah, don't maybe think he just did it for the money. That, I mean, No, I'm not he, saying he... Uh, no. he, has, he has reason to stay. He, he you know... He has reason not to do it, but he does do yeah. it anyways, and it it wasn't for a big need of money. Money will help. Certainly. And in, in in Morgan's defense, if we do read the next book, two, three, there might be some more illumination on his character Absolutely. because I yeah. I didn't really I there wasn't enough there for me to figure out what made him tick. The um, only thing that made him tick was that he was gay and people didn't like him being gay and I actually quite liked the sort of in-your-faceness of that but yep. like I say it was it was exposed in the first four pages and then was sort of like just riffing on the same theme it was it like I say it wasn't developed a whole lot that side of his personality yeah it, you know but as a in just in terms of the devices he used to put the thing together in several places he would do his exposition at a cliffhanger you'd get to a cliffhanger and then he'd flash back to how he got hold of the dragon tooth knife or whatever it was that he had um and and that was that was well executed mm-hmm. I, I mean say what you want about yeah. the content uh the pacing was re- was was really well done he brought you right up that's to what i'm saying i think i, I think no, the device no of, of telling two stories parallel but one in well it's not even informal flashbacks but it's sort of like in references and shared memories between characters of the previous battles that they fought together and sort yeah. of like the politics that 
that's really good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm saying it's really good. I'm saying that that's what he's done in other books uh, as well. But it's, again, it's very well executed. And in, in my current current novel that I'm writing, I'm trying to do something similar, but um, I probably won't do it as good as that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I also I, did like well the, the names of the daggers of, of Arketh's daggers. I love she that. She just has these daggers, and that she just goes, oh, and I pulled out, you know, dragons. No, dragons bone was the sword. Laughing I pulled girl. Out, yeah, I put well, a laughing girl yeah. and embedded it in his. Uh, pulled out, and I was like, "Wow, that's really great!" And there's like, there's obviously a like a really great story behind every single one of those um, uh, Ringel's sword and the and Ed Egar's dragon bane um, chopping machine thing that he has. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did like, uh, I did, I do like those things. He he does does put those in there, um, you know, and it's very satisfying. Brian. What are your what are your thoughts on Steel Remains? What do you think of this book? My thoughts were that it has uh, some commendable points. Um, I mentioned that Richard Morgan is a very is a very good writer, very polished writer. Um, I, if you if you enjoy uh, combat scenes, if you enjoy you know well detailed cities, and um, I think there's a lot you can get out of this book. On the other hand, I think it's limited by the fact he. Uh, wrote it with an agenda in mind. Um, I think he, I think in summary, the book to me was about uh, that life is dirty and, and horrible and war is hell, uh, but isn't the stuff we already know. Um, it, by the end of the book, it fell to one note to me. So I, I would recommend it with, with some reservations. Um, Greg? Yeah, um, I, I agree with Brian. It is a one-note kind of thing, uh, but, you know, by the same token, the Sea Jam Blues by Duke Ellington is one note, too. So um, it's possible to do that really well, and he did do that really well, uh, but it's not the sort of thing I would... I'm sort of neutral about it. I give it... Uh, what'd you say? I have five stars? I give it 3.9265 stars. Isn't that pie? I can't no, remember. Yeah, it's okay. Approaching it anyways. Yeah. Approaching it slowly. <laughs> and Luke? No, we haven't heard Scott yet. Oh no, he didn't read it. Oh no. Um, <laughs> no, my my view on the book is is the same kind of thing. It is it, it, he uh, he set out to do something with this this book, um, which is obviously to sort of bring his sort of uh, his science the things that he's done in his science fiction books and apply it to a fantasy setting. And I think he did it very well. And you know, fantasy, it's it's pretty good, but it, it didn't add a, as much. Um, or take away as much. Or I didn't take away as much from the book as that I thought I might have done, um, but it was it was pretty good. Luke, I know uh, it's really shallow way of the book, right? What's that? <laughs> you had the paper book version. Does it have a yeah, map paper- in it? Yeah, it does have a map, and I, I generally try not to look at a map when I'm reading uh, a fantasy book. I just really? read it. Yeah, yeah, I really don't like looking at the maps because, and then because I like to see if the author is good enough at writing to make me construct the world completely in my whole head and sort of work out scales in my own head, uh, not to scales, distances you know, and things like that in my own head, and I opened this book uh, and I went back to this map and there's no way that I can possibly try and connect what I read in the book with this with this map at the front here, I mean I think, it just doesn't I think your premise might be in error because my, my feeling is that a fantasy novel that's set in a foreign land you know, on yeah. a foreign planet, can never replicate the same depth of geography that we bring to uh, a novel set in the real world or set on Earth. 
you know, I know where Bolivia is, if not exactly, pretty. No, I'm vaguely. talking about. I'm talking about science compared to science fiction. There's so many science fiction books set on other planets, and they talk about this place and that place. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many books talk that talk are set on Mars, and this base is there, and it takes days to get from here to there, and it talks. Mm -hmm. And it actually explains it in, in ways that I can connect to. And I don't then go and look up a map of Mars, and there's not a map of Mars in the front of the book. I mean, sometimes there is, but uh, I'm not comparing it to real-world stuff. I'm comparing it to other books that I've read. And I, I'm not saying that a, a map in the front of the book is a, uh, is a bad thing. I'm just saying, for me, it's a distraction. Like, I'm looking now, there's, there's Trelane and there's Yelteth, and they trade through... Um, they trade through the the place where the uh, the barbarians live, and that's that's like it's like they, these three but, uh, places make a triangle saying, on this map. But it you're make, you know, that uh, the geography uh, can be evoked in the text if it's well done. And I yeah, think and the, I read the, the book. And I that, no... The problem with that premise is that um, in order to approach a, a, a map um, by just telling things, what you end up having to do is only talk about that because a model that no 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 it, it, that's not right i mean it, in this book there was he he did say a bit about it but he just said there's these two empires and this one's here and this one's there and but it came out through the writing it did and, but and, and, and he talks about the trading post but he told the distances are and it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter that's what i'm saying it's a map it doesn't need to have i'm not saying that it's bad or wrong to have a map i'm just saying it's a distraction that you keep flicking back to it and going, I, I thought it might have been part of the story i mean the, the, the impression i got and i haven't seen the map is that the world is basically arranged north to south he gives directions but it's always north or south of here and so yeah, i i pictured three empires basically banded around a planet which with the band overhead <laughs> with, the, um, with the band overhead i thought that would that might have some connection to the fact that hmm. the the countries on this planet are banded as well east yeah. to west i i was thinking some there, of that there's but some then, spoiler you, possibilities there but no i'm, I'm just saying there's, there is there is two empires and they've got these other people and they and it says that they trade through ishin ishin or whatever it's called mm-hmm and when you look at the map, Trelane and Yelteth, which are these two major cities of these two sort of like one is sort of like a conglomeration of political entities, isn't it? Uh, with the you know around the marshes and all that kind of stuff, and the other one's like a proper empire, and they're closer together than either of them are from Ishlin Aichan on this map, and I just can't work out why that huh. is a trading point between the two empires. It just I'm literally looking at it, and I'm and I don't understand. It was literally when I was at the end of this map, or is it or is it Yeshtak? No, I can't remember what it is. I'm just looking at these names here. Uh, and I'm looking at them, and I'm just, it, yeah, it's just one of those things. I'm just going, this, um, it's just not making any sense, really. My complaint is the audiobooks never include the maps that are in the paper books. So mm -hmm. I think I think either they have to put that on the website, at least, or they yeah. have to, um, you know, put it in, just print it up and put it inside the packaging. Because, honestly, fantasy books do need maps. The reason is yeah. they're set That's a fair in a point. place other than one we know. That's why they've yeah. been I, in I, there. I, read the, I was reading R. Scott Backer's um, The Darkness That Comes Before, and I've got the second book on my shelf there because I really enjoyed that. That's more, like, if you want, like, adult fantasy or some, mm -hmm. something a bit darker or a bit more in-depth, that's certainly got it. It's a bit, you know, it's not so much of a page-turner if because there's not a whole lot of 
um, big, big long sword fights and stuff like that. But again, when I read that book, I had sort of like a world set out in my head, and and it's it's very much a sort of like um, there's this big crusade going on. They're trying to get all the forces together. It's something like they, you know, they're all descended on um, Byzantium, you know, all those forces, and they're off to Jerusalem on this big holy quest, and. And, and the world that I had in my head, and then I looked it up, and then I, when I finished the book, I would look back at the map, and I was like, yeah, that's, that works out. That, that fits. It was, it was sort of like flipped from what I thought it was because it hadn't said, oh, it's north and south. It just said it's, it's more over there. But that's all I needed for the story, um, and, it, and, it, and it worked out in my head very well compared to the map. But this one, it's sort of like, okay, so the lizards come from the sea and attack, and he defended them at a place called Gallows Gap. So if they come from the sea... Why didn't they just attack the city called Trelane, which is on the sea, like at the sea? And why did they go to Gallows Gap, which is so? It's yeah, it's a strange kind of thing. Why did they go all the way inland then to fight back out, out, back down to the sea again? It's a bit well, strange. So maybe that was just it wasn't the map isn't as as uh, as as close as I thought. I'm not entirely sure. Or those I'm, answers are contained in the next 700 pages. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's it as well. But I, yeah. again, I, why did you bring up the map anyway? Yeah, we've drawn this big, oh, well, big diversion. I, I, you're the only one with a paper book. Everybody oh. else got the audio book. So um, uh, okay. I just wanted to be clear. It, sometimes they don't. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think. I don't think the map was in the. I don't think the map was in the hardback book either. It's only. It's only been in the paperback for some reason. Yeah. I, I got to say, I got to say, in terms of audio books, because I, I, I do all this stuff over at LibriVox and the, the most common problem we have is for some reason people repeat sentences because they're doing multiple takes or whatever and I would just like to say that on disc 11 at 2910 <laughs> there is a repeated sentence okay, so but I come in here Brian, whether it be amateur or pro okay they thing up This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.